stay connected. News and analysis. KFBK Weekend Live. News Radio KFBK. All right, welcome in. Uh, good evening to you. I'm Doug Kelly, sitting in for Sam Shane. And uh, welcome in as we are live this weekend here on News Radio KFBK. There's a lot going on on this Saturday, and of course, a lot of protests around the country dealing with the current administration's policy dealing with immigration. We'll talk about that as we go along on the program. We'll also take your phone calls during the next couple of hours here at 916 921 1530 or 800. 800- 834-1530. If you'd like to join in, I'm Doug Kellett. Good to be back uh, sitting behind the microphone with you uh, today. And uh, Louise doing the uh, producing and board operations of our program. As always, uh, when I fill in, you can hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter feed is at Radio and also Facebook.com backslash Radio And my website is IDougRadio.com. Yeah, a lot of, um, lot of protests around the country dealing with this immigration a debate of uh, the ongoing controversy about whether children should be separated from their parents as they uh, come across the border. A lot of people, uh, I think, don't realize, and I'm not sure that I remember talking about it much during the Obama years, but this particular policy is not one that um, was created by the Trump administration. There's a lot of criticism of President Trump about this, and I guess you can argue whether uh, the current administration should... Uh, amend the policy and uh, and whether Congress should do something about it. But this policy actually goes back to the Obama years. They were doing it uh, during the Obama administration. And um, it was, a you know, once again, a controversial sort of idea. And right now, the uh, controversy, I think, uh, centers more about when these children will be re- reunited with the parents, those that have been uh, separated from their parents to begin with. So you may have some thoughts about that also. We will discuss during the uh, program uh, tonight the uh, impending decision by uh, President Trump on the U.S. nomination. announcement is scheduled uh, to be uh, for Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern and 6 o'clock Pacific, that the president will announce this. I, I'm wondering, and I think others are as well, will this leak out before Monday? <laughs> it, it's likely the way the president likes to tweet, and he's been tweeting again this afternoon that um, about the uh, Mueller investigation that the president's likely to, to uh, inadvertently uh, tweet out the name of the of the nominee he plans to announce on Monday. But uh, the, the decision will be made and announced, and then the fight will be on uh, as to uh, whether this uh, nominee will get approval in the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll just have to see. A lot of a lot of thoughts that uh, this particular nominee, or the Democrats, will fight this, but not as hard as they might uh, fight the next one. And the reason being is that um, this nominee replaces Justice Kennedy, who was a Republican appointee. And now at times he became more independent, I guess you would say, and and did, uh, didn't always um, have the conservative point of view from, uh, from the position of the court, but... Uh, he was an appointee by, an, by a Republican, and therefore, this is simply a replacement of that position. Uh, the next one, uh, more than likely, would be someone like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who uh, would be a Democrat appointee. And, and so the, the theory is, or at least uh, sort of the working thought, would be that the Democrats will fight this, but they won't use every 
means necessary, but they will on the next one. Because if Donald Trump, uh, well, it could happen during his first term, but if he were to win re-election, it's likely he would have one or two, perhaps, uh, nominees to choose. And that would be a tremendous legacy on the U.S. Supreme Court uh, that uh, Donald Trump would have. He would completely change, really, the uh, the structure of the court the last 20, 30 years. So uh, that that's kind of a prevailing thought. You may have some um, some thoughts on it. Uh, you're welcome to join us on the program here tonight for the next couple of hours. But I think the um, you know the, uh, the the decision will be somewhat uh, liked by those in the conservative area, those of us who have wanted to see uh, someone appointed to the court that really just believes in uh, looking at the law and kind of ruling from that perspective. We call it a constitutionalist um, and someone from that um, line of thought. Uh, but we don't always get what we think we're getting. I mean, think about it for a minute. When Justice Kennedy was appointed, it was thought he was going to be that kind of uh, uh, ju- uh, judge. But really, in some cases he was, but in other cases, I think people would look uh, or say that, uh, say in the gay marriage uh, debate and uh, decision, he was the swing vote. There were others that he became very important in a in a swing sense that maybe he didn't necessarily look at the law in the in the same consistency that he did with other things he was also the uh, the swing vote i believe in in bush v gore in the famous u.s supreme court case that um helped decide the 2001 election he was the the vote there but you don't always get what you think justice roberts for example uh you know appointed uh conservative and uh, uh, really all uh, indications were that justice roberts was one of these bedrock conservatives that we could count on when it came uh, time to to look at the court, but then when it came to the Obamacare decision, Justice Roberts, as you know, was the deciding vote on upholding Obamacare. And you say, well, how is how is that necessarily conservative or or a liberal issue? After all, Congress approved it, the president signed it. Isn't that the way things are supposed to operate? Yes. However, the reason that it got as far as it did at the court is because uh, two things. One was the argument about whether you could you could force the American people to purchase a product against their will. That was the, uh, uh, the the one sort of issue. The other issue was is that um, the uh, bill was was a tax bill and the, uh, the the court ruled and Justice Roberts is the guy that made the decision that the uh, the bill was indeed a big tax increase on the American people and that Congress had the power to tax therefore they had the right to impose this bill. Forgetting however I guess part of the Constitution which says all tax bills must begin in the House of Representatives. The Obamacare bill began in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> so when you get down to maybe the specifics and you say, well, that's just a technicality. Okay, then the Constitution is indeed a technicality. Why is it our founding fathers thought that the, uh, the tax issues ought to begin solely in the House of Representatives? Because the House of Representatives is made up of more individuals. It is, uh, it's elected by a smaller amount of people in the country, that is, you, you're, uh, these uh, congressional districts are broken up into small districts. Uh, people have a greater say over who their representative is. Where a statewide uh, vote is necessary for a U.S. Senate race, some states are bigger than others, and therefore you have less over, uh, really influence over a U.S. senator than you do uh, over a, a member of your uh, House of Representatives. That's the reason they just, there was a, there was a reason for this. And so that bill was upheld, basically, it seems. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't play one on the radio, but I do understand <laughs> basic civics that tax bills have to begin 
in the House of Representatives. So what I'm my point in going in a, through all that again was, you don't always get what you think you're going to get when it comes uh, to judicial appointments. But um, whatever you think of President Trump, there's no question that his ability or his uh, possibility of having a legacy as part of the conservative movement is really uh, centered in the judiciary, with the the you know the federal appointees to the courts and uh, of course, the uh, crown jewel, the appointment uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. He's already appointed one. He's going to make a nominee for another. And uh, Mitch McConnell will have his work cut out for him, but more than likely this will get through. All right, we've got protests around the country again, the president's immigration policy. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that as we go along. Also, your thoughts about this Supreme Court nominee and the announcement coming down on Monday. We're live on this Saturday here on News Radio KFBK. The phone numbers are 916. 916- 921-1530, I'm Doug Kellett, in for Sam, and uh, you can join us, and uh, we'll talk about some of these issues as we go along on the program this evening. We'll be right back with more on News Radio KFBK. KFBK Weekend Live. News and analysis. On News Radio KFBK. All right, we're back on Weekend Live, 520 our time. Doug Kellett in for Sam. And uh, you can join us anytime on the uh, program here. Just give us a call. The phone number is 916-921-1530 or 800-834-1530. And uh, I'll be happy to uh, to talk with you on the program. The, the You know, these protests around the country are really uh, designed, I guess, to just sort of, I don't know, they're almost like a weekly occurrence now. The... Uh, People who are protesting, really, uh, President Trump, for one uh, reason or the other. You know, had this uh, this lady that scaled part of the Statue of Liberty on the fourth, and people were asking me why. Uh, what do you think they were? You know, she was doing that. I said, well, I don't know. At the time, I didn't know uh, what uh, you know issue she was protesting. But I said, you can almost uh, bet the default position is Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, people get on me from time to time if I say anything uh, via Twitter or Facebook. Uh, that uh, may be uh, deemed uh, critical of the president about things. I try to call them as I see it. I think there's a lot of things with his policies I like. Uh, some of his personal way he carries himself at times I do not like. I may be old school. I understand that. M- many of my friends keep telling me I'm just not getting it. Whatever it may be, uh, I'm always uh, intrigued where uh, you know the, the, those who simply want to protest the president just because, well, he happens to exist, breathe air. <laughs> I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. A- actually, it sort of uh, decreases your argument, doesn't it? If you, you know, you, so you want to scale the Statue of Liberty, and you're going to risk the lives of other people to get up there and save you, because that's exactly what you have to do. Uh, somebody's got to go up there and and help you. Uh, I had said on Twitter this week uh, that maybe as punishment, you ought to just let them stay there and then let them find their way back down, because you're you're really risking other the lives of other people. Of doing something really dumb. Why? Protesting Donald Trump. And, and here's the thing about that. What's going to change? You know, <laughs> barring a health issue, uh, barring some uh, event that, uh, you know, that I think all Americans uh, uh, do not want to happen, or uh, the president getting, you know, some kind of legal problem impeached or whatever it may be, the president's going to be there. <laughs> and so no matter uh, protesting, about his, uh, you know, personal persona uh, or policies, really, I don't think it's going to change the issue. Yes, you can protest, and that's 
in some, um, I guess, some ways, that's the American way. You you protest what you don't like. You certainly would rally the people uh, to your point of view, right? I mean, you, you want to gather people to, to one thing or another. Look, this immigration thing has been going on a long time. How long has Tom and some others on this station been talking about it, right? I mean, th- this issue uh, really goes back to the uh, the, the mid-1980s. Uh, during the Reagan years, there was a bill in the late 80s where they dealt with immigration. It was already a problem. Some say that's why California hasn't voted Republican in a presidential race, uh, I think, since. Or maybe they, certainly since the first Bush uh, won election. And California's gone Democrat every time since then. And some blame the immigration bill in the late 80s for that. That was signed by President Reagan. So this has been going on a long time. And it's always been controversial how to deal with it. The one thing that I think is distressing with a lot of people is uh, that some on the the liberal side just don't want to uh, do anything about it, right? It's just this open border concept, which really um, can only be really designed uh, with the idea in mind that the people coming here would vote Democrat in the future. That that could only be the reason you'd be for full-fledged open borders, welfare state, and on and on it goes. I think most people can look at this and see that the numbers don't add up. You can't keep doing this uh, forever and expect to have a, uh, a you know, financially stable uh, state or a financially stable country. And California's had problems, in part because of all the immigration, uh, illegal immigration, really, that's, that's happened here. And, uh, and people get that on the local level. I mean, otherwise, why are people trying to divide the state into three parts? It's because some uh, parts of the state think we're not liberal enough. Some parts of the state think we're way too liberal. We need to at least have some conservative values going on. And then you've got some in between. <laughs> it's because no one can agree. There's no consensus on uh, how the state really ought to operate. There's no consensus uh, with a lot of people on how the nation uh, should go about this issue. But So it's been around for a long time. It's been controversial. You can even go back. I don't want to sound like one of these historian types, but you could go back to the uh, the early 20th, 20th century, the early 1900s, of uh, the great immigration that occurred coming into this country, and uh, you had a situation where uh, families were divided. If you've ever been to Ellis Island, and I've taken people there, if you if you've been through Ellis Island, you know, off the coast of um, New York City, you find these incredible stories of people who immigrated here. But you also find just as many heartbreaking stories about how the families were divided. Uh, that uh, I mean, it, it happened all the time. It was determined uh, on various criteria whether people could enter the country or not. And many of them had to stay at Ellis Island for a while. Then it was determined that uh, some members of the family were allowed entry into the United States. Others had to go back to their home country. That was heartbreaking. That's it happens. It, it, there, and it was not uh, without its controversy even in those days and at that time. But most people accepted the idea that a nation has to have some kind of regulations, a border, has to be able to, to determine who comes in and who doesn't. Donald Trump's not the first one that said this. Now, he is the, uh, the first one in a long uh, line that seems to be more serious about dealing with it than others. Many of us who supported George W. Bush during his two terms, uh, were very concerned. There were many conservative voices on the radio in those days con- uh, concerned about his lack of dealing with the immigration issue. Uh, after 9-11, we thought it even uh, had stepped up a notch 
and that it was really as much a national security issue as it was just an issue the country needed to deal with. And so um, many of us were critical of President Bush because we didn't think he really was serious about it. We know Obama wasn't serious about it. And uh, and so here we are, and a lot of people are looking to Donald Trump to maybe uh, do something here. Now, is this whole idea a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't, I don't, I don't know anyone that's real happy about this particular policy that children are taken away from their parents. It is it It may be that it is a very solid type of uh, deterrent. I mean, I, I would have to say that if you're in a foreign country trying to get here and you're going to do so without going through the legal avenues to try to become a citizen of our country, then you hear that if I get caught, they're going to take my kids away from me. That's a, that's a deterrent that's very strong, I, I would say. It's also very distasteful, I think, to a lot of Americans. And the issue of how long it is before the families are reunited, I think that's bothering a lot of people. But um, the, the idea that... Uh, this has really never happened, or the idea that Donald Trump is the one that started it, there were none of these protesters protesting Barack Obama's implementation of this policy. And, uh, and, and <laughs> so that, I think that's what's disturbing about all of this. Certainly, uh, we do not have a consensus in the country. We don't have a consensus in Congress about uh, which way to deal with this. There are not uh, enough votes to have full-scale open borders. Whoever wants to come here gets to come here, and that's it. We also don't have uh, votes in uh, Congress to really limit and have an immigration uh, bill that does deal with building a wall uh, more than we have now. It does deal with a more stricter form of immigration, especially on our southern border. We simply don't have a consensus, and that's why I think this has been lingering administration after administration. So you tell me, as we have these protests, and, uh, you know, I mean, whatever liberal sort of policy they want to they implement here, uh, you know, some of it's about the Second Amendment this time, but a lot of it is about the immigration, you know, and uh, it's just one sort of policy after another. But you tell me if you think we're going to get any time during the Trump administration a consensus on how to deal with the uh, number of people coming across the southern border. You can have deterrence. Uh, to try to keep them from coming. You can have immediate deportation. You can do all these things. But I will say, I haven't found the general public really uh, liking the uh, the overall policy that removes the children, and, and certainly for a length of time, that seems to be indeterminate and, and uh, you know, having them here. I have heard some of the rhetoric, which is over the top, about that these are like concentration camps and such, and that's not true. They're being well cared for. Uh, they're not being abused in any fashion, except from the standpoint of being uh, taken from their parents. And that's uh, that may be, in some minds of a lot of people, abuse enough. But again, I don't know too many people are happy about that particular policy. The president's even signed an executive order to try to deal with some of it. But the point is, there's not a consensus in Congress to really deal with this illegal immigration. And we haven't had this for a number of terms. And part of the reason, there's a Donald Trump. For those of you that are really having trouble with the guy that's in the White House right now, part of the reason is because a majority of the American people are fed up with an open borders immigration policy. Anyway, we'll pick up on this. Judson Phillips of the uh, Washington Times, he writes for them. He'll be on with us in our next segment. Also, he is uh, 
TeaPartyNation.com. And uh, we'll be right back. 530 is our time right here. And we'll be back with more on News Radio KFBK. Don't go away. Stay connected. News and analysis. KFBK Weekend Live. News Radio KFBK. All right, welcome back. Doug Kelly sitting in for Sam Shane tonight on Weekend Live, News Radio KFBK. Nice to be with you on uh, really still the uh, remaining Saturday of the July 4th uh, weekend for a lot of people here, and we're happy to be with you. 916-921-1530-800-834-1530 if you'd like to join in. On Monday, the um, the president will announce his nominee, if it doesn't leak beforehand, uh, his nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. The president will make the announcement. It's scheduled for 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, 6 o'clock Pacific time on Monday night. And, you know, the question really will be not uh, what will he pick from a list that he provided uh, in part uh, during the election uh, that was compiled by the Federalist Society there. A lot of good um, potential nominees. And uh, will he pick one of them? It's expected that uh, one uh, that he's interviewed will be the choice. And, and so it would be a, a good choice. But... You know, a lot of people are uh, debating uh, really Trump's appointees, say, from uh, Ronald Reagan. I, I don't, I'm interested that there's maybe some sort of comparison going on between uh, the years of President Reagan and, uh, and and Donald Trump. But one thing you have to remember, these, some of these appointments don't turn out like you think they're going to. I mentioned about uh, Justice Kennedy. And then you had uh, Senator Day O'Connor had some decisions that, uh, conservatives didn't like during her time. What happens, it seems to me, just someone's been observing uh, this for a long time, is that uh, many of these uh, justices uh, become more and more independent the longer they're on the court. Uh, the further they get away from their appointments and in making decisions, uh, the more you see some of these surprising decisions from them. So we really won't know and get a really good perspective about you know, uh, the appointees of uh, uh, President Trump, really, uh, for years to come. You know, uh, I mentioned about Justice Roberts. We thought he was going to be a rock-solid uh, conservative. And on many, many and most issues, he is. But then on the key issue that um, we thought uh, he would be the, the swing vote to strike down Obamacare, it didn't happen. So <laughs> you're never really assured as to how that's, uh, that, that's going to, to transpire here. So we'll have to see. But it's interesting that some think that uh, already that uh, President Trump, at least on my Facebook page, uh, has, has done a better job in appointments than, say, Ronald Reagan. I would say he's got a good chance to beat uh, some of the appointments of George uh, Bush, though. I'm talking about her, uh, the, uh, the first Bush, uh, that, um, <clears throat> on the, how they turned out on the court. We're waiting on Judson... Uh, Phillips to uh, join us here in just a moment, and Judson uh, with the Washington Times, and also, of course, uh, uh, heads up Tea Party Nation. Lewis is trying to get Judson, I think, for me on the line, and uh, you do have him? Okay. All right, so we do have Judson, so let's bring him on to the uh, program. Judson, good to have you on the show. I should mention you're also a lawyer by trade. Uh, good to have you on the program tonight. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Doug, although I was a little surprised uh, as I was on hold going, yeah, we're trying to get a hold of Judson. I was like, hey, dude, I'm here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I didn't know that you were on the line there, but uh, we're glad to have you now, uh, one way or another. Uh, you heard, uh, I wanted to bring this up because you had mentioned uh, something on Facebook I thought was kind of interesting a minute ago, and uh, kind of spurred some conversation here. But do you think 
that uh, 10 years from now, the GOP will be holding the Reagan-Trump dinners, like, uh, you know, we do the uh, the Reagan dinners, the Lincoln Day dinners, that kind of thing. So you think you think Trump is going to elevate, uh, and I would consider that being an elevation now, to, to put the Donald Trump in the same, you know, sentence as Ronald Wilson Reagan. You think that's going to happen, huh? Oh, absolutely. And here's why. Uh, Donald Trump is going to be the... Uh, the most successful president since Reagan, and he may even eclipse Reagan in his degree of success. Now, fortunately, uh, President Trump does not have to bring down the evil empire like President Reagan did, but President uh, Trump is doing something that President Reagan wasn't able to do. Uh, President Trump is really uh, whacking down on the administrative state and uh, the regulatory state, and I call that the second tax Trump or the second Trump tax cut. Uh, because it's really, uh, you know, the the, the big uh, tax cuts that just went through, they really haven't had a chance to kick in yet. But the economy is booming. And why is that? Well, uh, when President Reagan, I mean, President Trump came in, one of the things he said uh, almost immediately is, for every regulation that is proposed, we are going to repeal two regulations. And members of the Trump administration have been just taking an axe to uh, federal regulations. And by doing so, they freed up the, uh, the, free, uh, the free market economy uh, to be able to boom. Because when you have massive regulation like, uh, like the Obama regime gave us for the last eight years, for starters, you have a massive compliance cost to begin with, and that hurts business. You have a compliance effort. You have to devote so much energy to the business to be able to comply, and it makes some... Uh, some business ventures either more difficult or uh, to the point of impossibility. Well, by repealing all these regulations, President Trump has unleashed the economy. And, I mean, look at what we saw the other day. We now have more jobs available than we have people searching for jobs. And that's an incredible statement. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there, he's made some good uh, moves in that regard, certainly uh, in the area of regulation and deregulation. Really, we've had uh, so much, really, that was put on uh, American businesses and and especially small businesses uh, during the Obama years. I agree with that, although I would say we still have to see how this uh, this sort of trade tariff tiff, as I like to call it, shakes down, because a lot of economists out there are thinking maybe this may negate some of the advantages we've had with the tax cut. Even some Republicans are saying that. So we may have to see how this, uh, you know, this uh, turns out. I know a lot of people keep telling me that uh, this is simply a negotiating tactic and uh, everything's going to work out fine, but they also, members of the administration, said that that China and some of these other countries would not retaliate with higher tariffs, and they've done that. So we're just going to have to see how that, uh, whether that impacts really what we do see is a growing economy here. Yeah, but if you look at the past 50 years or more, what we've seen is uh, nation after nation imposes tariffs on American goods, and we really do nothing in return. Well, President Trump has been trying to even the even the playing field. Uh, you know, interestingly, I w- I spent the last two and a half weeks in Germany. And while I was over there, in fact, the day I came back, uh, uh, Deutsche Welt uh, had a very interesting piece on it, uh, uh, where uh, you know there was a big trade uh, trade fight, and then suddenly President Trump proposed a zero for zero tariff. Uh, Germany, you you get rid of your tariffs, and we'll get rid of ours. Well, isn't that what every free trader wants? Uh, it is, and so uh, you know the president. Uh, by being willing to stand up and fight, is actually achieving something in this area. 
you know, if you if you're a fighter, if you never get in the ring, you're never going to win. And unfortunately, so many of these uh, free trade Republicans are just wimps. They don't want to fight for what is real free trade. All they want to do is give us these convoluted free trade agreements and just uh, roll over every time some other nation wants to impose trade restrictions on our uh, on our goods and, and services. And, you know, President Trump's getting up there and saying, okay, you know, you, want, uh, you don't want tariffs on your goods coming into our country? Well, guess what? We don't want tariffs cut on our goods going into your country. Yeah, I think you actually make a better argument than what I hear uh, most of the time, Judson, about this. Uh, because, you know, the, the goal, at least, uh, uh, I think the administration even articulates this, is that we're going to somehow bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S., by uh, by raising you know these tariffs and and having you know uh, maybe these barriers brought down by these other countries, you know I it, I don't see that happening because I think a lot of the manufacturing jobs were actually lost due to automation, right? I mean they're not coming back now. We we do have we're a more high tech industry and there's all kinds of different industries, but we're really almost in a post manufacturing era in this country. So it doesn't seem to me that's actually going to be accomplished. Yeah, we might get further closer to real free trade. That would be great. But that's not really the stated goal of the administration here. Well, are we going to bring those jobs back? Ultimately, I don't think so, because I do happen to agree with you. Technology is changing, and it's changing at an amazing rate. And the jobs that, that say, uh, the people of my parents' generation and your parents' generation had are just not going to be there anymore, punching the assembly line, et cetera. They're going to be replaced by robotics. They're going to be replaced by AI. But guess what? It's still going to be American businesses, and whether it's uh, some guy punching rivets for eight hours a day or it's uh, some computer programmer who's generating AI programs to create these uh, products, it still means American business is going to sell, and that is what's going to bring prosperity back to America. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think that in that regard we're on the right track. I certainly have been very happy with uh, you know the economic policies of the administration, uh, minus maybe some of the tariffs. I think... Uh, I, I'm not as uh, you know enthusiastic about what's going on there as maybe some others. Even some farmers are talking about how it's hurting their you know their business. I know the president kind of for the first time I think said the other day, yeah, there may be some small term uh, you know pain uh, to try to reach a, a longer term goal. Um, that's uh, but the, you know the pain is tough uh, when that does happen, even if it's in the short term here. Yeah, you know absolutely. There's no such thing as a pain free world, uh, and to get. You know, if you've been a couch potato uh, for a while and you realize, uh, hey, man, I need to get into shape, and uh, you start to go work out, well, guess what? There's some pain associated with getting into shape. But you know what? When you are finally done with it, when you've dropped 100 pounds and you don't have to take blood pressure medicine anymore and you can walk up the stairs without passing out, uh, something good has happened because of that, and you, you know, the pain that you've had to go through is worth it. Well, you know, the same is true with the economy here. It, you know, it's not good that it hurts farmers. It's not good that certain businesses are hurt. Uh, but guess what? There are certain businesses that are, getting, uh, that are receiving benefits. Uh, steel companies, for example, have announced uh, uh, that they are uh, uh, beefing up manufacturing and, and opening, uh, reopening plants because uh, the tariffs are going to help them. Uh, yeah, there's going to be winners and losers in, in, in the tariff wars. Uh, you, know, you get winners and losers in life in everything. And that's just that's just a part of life. But the the good thing with President Trump is 
it's nice that we have a president who gets up there and fights for America, who fights for Americans, as opposed to what we've had for the previous eight years before Donald Trump came in, uh, which was a guy who, uh, who cheered for our enemies and literally did everything possible to hurt this nation. Judson, hang on. We'll be right back. I want to get your thoughts about this Supreme Court uh, nominee. The president makes a decision and announces it on uh, Monday night. We'll talk about it. We come back in just a moment. I'm Doug Kellett, and you're listening to Weekend Live on News Radio KFBK. KFBK Weekend Live. News and analysis on News Radio KFBK. All right, welcome back. Good to be with you here this evening. Doug Kelly sitting in on Weekend Live for Sam Shane. Uh, Louise doing the uh, producing and board operations of our program. You're welcome to join us anytime uh, during the rest of this hour or next hour, 916-921-1530, or outside the local area, it's 800-834-1530. Joining me right now, Judson Phillips. He writes a column for the Washington Times. You can check out uh, his website, judsonphillips.com, and also Tea Party Nation. Dot com. Great to have you on. He's a lawyer by trade. And Judson, we got talking about um, really the legacy, I guess, of uh, President Trump dealing with, you know, some of the uh, decisions, economics, regulation. Uh, I think uh, the area that, uh, you know, as things are going, he's almost certain to have greater influence would be the area of the, of the judiciary and especially the U.S. Supreme Court. He's going to make another appointment. That would be two. Um, if he finishes his current term, he may have another. Or if he gets reelected and uh, goes a full eight years, there might be one or two or even more uh, possible uh, nominees still left to, to be made by uh, President Trump. He has the opportunity, unlike really any other Republican president I can think of, maybe any president in recent memory, really, to, to influence uh, the appointees on the uh, Supreme Court. So what do you think is going to happen Monday? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I think there's three, really three finalists. Brett Kavanaugh of the D.C. Court of Appeals, uh, Amy Barrett of the uh, uh, Seventh Circuit, and Senator Mike Lee. Now, earlier this week, I signed on to a, a coalition letter with a number of other conservative groups urging uh, President Trump to choose Mike Lee. And here's why. Uh, and this is why I, I don't know. I've kind of had the feeling it's not going to be Mike Lee, uh, but it really should be. And here's why. Uh, this is going to be a tough fight. There's a, uh, 51 Republicans, 49 uh Democrats. Now, uh, Mitch McConnell, when uh, when Gorsuch was uh, nominated, uh, abolished the filibuster for the uh, uh, Supreme Court. So the Democrats can't really stop the nomination. Uh, the Republicans could stop the nomination. And you've got squishy Republicans like Susan Collins in Maine, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who are uh, basically, uh, and Collins came out and said this, you know, I'm not going to vote for anybody who's who's soft on Roe versus Wade. Uh, and so uh, it, this is, may be a tough battle. Mike Lee is well-liked within the Senate. There's that rule of collegiality within the Senate. I think if he is nominated, he wins with probably 60 or more votes, or he's confirmed with 60 or more votes. Uh, if Amy Barrett is, is the nominee, she is a uh, uh, Catholic, pro-life, mother of seven, uh, and I think she will lose Susan Collins. She may lose Murkowski. Uh, and, you know, there may be one or two of the other squishy Republicans that will uh, bolt on, uh, on the issue of abortion. Now, having said that, 
there may be a, a, a few Democrats who will come on board and support the nominee. John Tester in, in um, uh, Montana, for example, he just put a big ad, ad out when President Trump came to the state talking about how much, all, how much he had done under President Trump and how many bills he had pushed that President Trump had signed. And, of course, he's a Democrat running for re-election uh, in a really red state. Uh, and so uh, you're going to have several. Heidi Heitkamp in uh, North Dakota uh, is running for re-election. Uh, um, uh, Manchin in West Virginia. Uh, Joe Donnelly in Indiana. I mean, there's a number of these Democrats in red states that will that there's a good possibility they could flip and end up supporting a Republican nominee, uh, Amy Barrett or whoever. But I think Mike Lee gives them the greatest chance of, of not having uh, an embarrassment uh, at a nomination uh, uh, vote. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, really, what you're saying. Mike Lee would be a, a great um, you know addition to the court. I, I'm thinking that Lee was against Trump uh, during the campaign, right? I mean... Uh, he, uh, so that might be some strike against him. I mean, he, the people in Utah and Mike Lee and the delegation there, they were not really, uh, they, they weren't uh, big supporters of uh, Donald Trump at that at that time. Yeah, you know, no, they weren't, but uh, there are a lot of people, uh, you know, I think Mike Lee did the same thing I did, because, uh, you know, if you'll remember, you and I have talked about this a number of times in the past, during the campaign, I, you know, I've been a cruise guy, I've been a media surrogate for cruise, and I was never Trump back then. And uh, I, I've done a 180, uh, gone from being never Trump to a very enthusiastic supporter of President Trump because of the great job he's done. I think Mike Lee's done the same thing. Uh, and President Trump, at the end of the day, uh, this guy likes to win. And I think he and his team uh, realize that if they end up in a situation uh, where they end up with a nominee that loses enough Republican votes that they can't get him confirmed. Or I think maybe the ultimate embarrassing situation might be uh, where Mike Pence has to come in and give a tie, a tie breaking vote. I mean, that's not good. He needs a good victory going into the election this fall. And uh, I think Mike Lee gives him that. Plus Mike Lee is, will be a solid, solid conservative jurist. I mean, we know yeah. that because we've got his body of work, uh, to look at for all the years he's been in the Senate. Uh, well, it'll be so interesting I, to see, Judson, how it uh, turns out for sure, and the president's going to make this announcement 9 o'clock Eastern and 6 o'clock Pacific time on Monday. Judson, thank you so much for joining us. Great talking to you. Good to have you back on with us here. JudsonPhillips.com, TeaPartyNation.com, and read his writings at the Washington Times website. We'll be right back. Another hour of Weekend Live coming up on News Radio KFBK. Stay connected. News and analysis. KFBK Weekend Live. News Radio KFBK. All right, 606 on Weekend Live on News Radio KFBK. Doug Kellett sitting in for Sam Shane. Uh, thank you for joining us on this July 7th edition of the program. Uh, Louise doing the uh, producing and board operations of the uh, show. Taking your phone calls, too, this hour. Any item in the news, give us a call at 916-921-1530. That's 916-921-1530. 800-834-1530. And we'll get you right on the air. You may want to react to some of the uh, conversation we had with Judson Phillips a few minutes ago. Uh, the discussion about uh, the appointee for the U.S. Supreme Court. It'll be coming down on Monday, at least the announcement will be, by President Trump. And really the uh, the impact <clears throat> on the court 
itself that Donald Trump will be making, perhaps for years in the future. And that could be one of the biggest uh, areas and uh, really legacy areas that a president really can have, and that is appointments in the federal judiciary as well as the U.S. Supreme Court, because they can uh, be on there for a long period of time, have great influence on decision-making across a generation where, obviously, as you know, just a, a four- to eight-year term of a president can uh, really have only limited <clears throat> some impact in some of the other areas. So, you know, what impact do you think is going to happen here? We've got a number of protests around the country once again. Uh, it seems like the default position is always protest Donald Trump. And um, now we're protesting a lot. Uh, now it's gun violence again. It's uh, the immigration uh, situation, the controversy that's uh, been going on with that. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, in fact, there's some uh, various cities where some of these protests today, again, were sort of um, getting in the way of normal everyday traffic. Chicago was one of those where people were sort of blocking some of the uh, the major thoroughfares in uh, an attempt to do what? Uh, Chicago, one of the biggest uh, or cities that have some of the biggest problems with uh, gun violence, uh, has also some of the uh, most strict gun control laws. Anyway, you may want to talk about that on the show. A lot of discussion. I posted this on Facebook and Twitter as well. And this is about, you know, California with the new tax laws going into effect. A number of people leaving. There's some stories about millionaires leaving California. There's been a population uh, erosion of California for some time now. And uh, it's happened with some major companies. It's happened with businesses. And, uh, and, and the individuals, of course, usually flock to wherever the jobs are. And there's been some of this going on. It's been sort of a steady situation, and especially because of the taxation. You may have seen the story today about, and we, I mean, it's not news to us about San Francisco and the cost of living in the Bay Area. But, I mean, it's gotten to the point now, and I think I saw this in the story today, if you make $117,000 a year, you're basically in the poverty level <laughs> in San Francisco and the surrounding area. And that's that's kind of what's happened here with the cost of living, the taxation, everything that kind of goes into it. They, you know, um, it's it's gotten to the point that you can make uh, triple uh, digits, and $117,000 uh, would go a long way in various parts of the country, but not in San Francisco. The the median uh, home in San Francisco now is up to over a million and a half dollars, and people um, simply cannot afford. Uh, by and large, that kind of salary. I mean, you may, I remember last time uh, I was sitting in uh, here and we were talking about uh, people having to commute like two hours outside of San Francisco just who worked there, uh, who make, um, I think this one guy was making seven or $800,000 and he was still commuting because he simply could not find nor afford uh, something that he was looking for you know, in his price range. It was just astounding, but that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's when you start pricing yourself out of existence, you know, with the population, they're going to go elsewhere. If they can make, uh, you don't have to make the same amount of money in other parts of the country to make that go very far. You know, there are states that have no state income taxes and people are, and businesses are looking at that. There's also many tax breaks being offered in the competition for business around the country. And California is uh, one that, uh, you know, is, is losing in some of these uh, competitive areas here because of the tax uh, system. And it, But it seems like the politicians are 
all about let's raise taxes even further, right? Where there's a gasoline tax, and California people already pay more uh, for a gallon of gasoline than anywhere else in the country, but, gee, that's not enough. Need to pay a little bit more. <laughs> to raise a few more taxes, have a few more services of one kind or another. But there does get to be a point. It's a breaking point at some area for everyone about what they can afford. And, you know, you say, well, I, I make $117,000 a year in San Francisco. That's great. That gets me to the poverty level. I can uh, make, I don't know, $75,000 and go somewhere else, Colorado, Texas, somewhere, and uh, I'm doing fairly well. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the view that a lot of people have. It's a shame that, uh, you know, that this has been going on. But uh, I think San Francisco is an anomaly in the fact that they're, the prices uh, and, and such have gotten to the level that they are. But that's almost crisis level, wouldn't you say? I mean, because uh, think about it, uh, to, to deal with a population that, um, that if you make $117,000, you're, you're in the poverty level. Uh, okay, that, uh, that then puts a majority of people probably in that level. And uh, so to uh, keep them from being homeless, you've got to step up the uh, government programs and the services and such. And by doing that, of course, you've got to raise taxes. And it's sort of an ongoing spiral, isn't it? How do you get out of that? And I think that's uh, the shape that San Francisco's in, and uh, it's starting to gain attention around the country. Anyway, I posted that via Twitter and also Facebook if you want to check out uh, those stories. But, um, you know, it's becoming almost a crisis now of the people who have decided to, you know, leave the great state of uh, California and go elsewhere. I mean, Phil Mickelson, the... uh, the famous golfer a few years ago got in trouble when he uttered uh, the fact that, well, many of his uh, his golfing um, uh, competitors live in the state of Florida. And Florida does not have a state income tax. It's low taxes compared to California. And he, I don't remember exactly the context of how it came about, but he made some comment about, well, maybe I need to move out of California uh, because I can keep a lot more of my you know, earnings if I go to Florida. And he caught a lot of flack. I never understood exactly why people were critical of of saying that, but it just happens to be a fact. (laughs) And there are a lot of people that do make uh, financial decisions based on how much they get to keep. You know, a lot of athletes look at this. One of the problems in hockey, for example, that a lot of hockey players have complained about are the higher taxes in, in Canada. And so if you play for a Canadian hockey team, and you make a lot of money. You got to make a lot more just to uh, uh, to be really the same uh, take-home income as if you're playing for one of the uh, you know the U.S. teams. And so it uh, it really makes a big difference. And they look at this in determining whether they okay trades or they're going to go and uh, and play for a various uh, you know franchises here. And that was one of the reasons there for a while that some of the um, the hockey franchises left Canada. It wasn't that they couldn't get attendance. That was never a problem up there. It had to do with the financial sort of means of uh, the hockey teams having to deal with their local governments and also the fact that the players were complaining so much about uh, the amount of taxation coming out when they could play for an, this, uh, you know, another hockey team <clears throat> just across the border and not have to deal with that. Okay, we'll be right back. You want to join in, give me a call, 916-921-1530. 800-834-1530. Hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter feed is at iDougRadio. 
And you can find me on Facebook as well. My website is idugradio.com. And we'll be right back with more of the Weekend Live program on News Radio KFBK. Don't go away. KFBK Weekend Live. News and analysis. On News Radio KFBK. All right, we're back. It is 619 Weekend Live, News Radio, KFBK. I'm Doug Kellett sitting in. Good to be with you here. You can dial in anytime. Talk with us here at 916-921-1530 and 800-834-1530. If you'd like to be part of the program, also you find me on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll correspond that way as well. Uh, I was chatting just a moment ago about, uh, you know, some of these uh, issues dealing with the legacy uh, really created by appointees uh, to the judiciary. And I think that's really true. I think President Trump's nomination on Monday, depending on the controversy created by the person uh, whom he chooses, you know, uh, again, uh, whatever trouble it might be to actually, you know, get uh, the nominee on the court, well, uh, he could, in a very short period of time, think about it, have uh, two nominees on the U.S. Supreme Court. And these don't happen every day. Uh, some. Um, effort was made uh, during the Obama years to get Ruth Bader Ginsburg to step aside and let Obama make the appointment. She wouldn't do that. But a lot of Democrats wanted to see uh, that uh, fearing that maybe a Republican would win the election in 2016. This is more le- long before really Donald Trump was in the mix. I think when Donald Trump got in uh, the nomination, they thought it was a sure thing then, and sort of the pressure subsided about uh, any nomination, but uh, and then of course you had the uh, Anton Scalia uh, death, and then the uh, the holdup of that nomination uh, for a vote in the U.S. Senate by Mitch McConnell. So you had that going on, that dynamic. But a lot of uh, Democrats before that occurred wanted Ruth Bader Ginsburg to step down, and uh, now you can see why because uh, they're in great panic right now that uh, she may have to step down. Now, Kennedy, which uh, it was thought he might, uh, and that he was waiting uh, for for the election to, to see, you know, if uh, a Republican would win, that he would step down. And uh, now, you know, uh, President Trump has already named, or will name two, and probably will have two sitting judges, and then it's very likely that he's going to have another uh, before the end of uh, his term in office. And this has the left in uh, in total panic. You know, Judson was on with us a few minutes ago, Judson Phillips, uh, commenting about Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski, the senator from Alaska, and Susan Collins, the uh, senator from Maine, that if the the pick is someone that is on record uh, talking about perhaps overturning the Roe v. Wade decision of the early 1970s, that they will not, uh, not vote for the nominee. And that could cause... Um, great problems in the in the Senate confirmation process because it's such a narrow margin, Republicans versus Democrats. And right now, you kind of need all Republicans to uh, to get these nominees through. Unless, as Judson pointed out, some of these red state Democratic senators uh, find themselves under any kind of pressure by the population to actually approve President Trump's nominees. I, I'm interested, too, on uh, you know some of the social media of uh, some of the reaction uh, that occurs, you know, uh, about uh, uh, President Trump. For example, I think you can be very much for a lot of the policies of President Trump and find uh, some things that President Trump does, a lot of it in the personal sort of behavior 
a category that you might uh, find distasteful. But you can still be overall supportive of, you know, the um, the progress of the policies that are going forward. <clears throat> but the left has uh, has been so overreactive to President Trump that uh, it really is is making any arguments uh, that they may have about maybe some of his policies. They're making them irrelevant. No one's listening to him. You, you you go on social media, and it's really become a situation where. You're either, and you find this also in the Republican, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, area as well. It's 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 become a either Trump or, I mean, you're either for him or against him. It's not. There's no sort of in between uh, category. And if you're you don't like some of Donald Trump's policies or you don't like the way Donald Trump conducts himself, then all of a sudden you've become a Democrat. It's really interesting to see some of the. The division that has occurred, especially in the area of social media, about President Trump. He is a lightning rod. There's no question about it. He there there are no intermediate opinions about President Trump, and I find this uh, very interesting because uh, you know you can you can po- for example I posted I think I was uh, yeah I was hosting on July 4th here on KFBK and we went over a uh, Gallup poll that. They do this every year, eight, 18 years in a row, about whether you're proud of the country or not. And it turned out that we had the lowest in the 18 years they've been doing the survey. It was still 47% of Americans were, quote-unquote, extremely proud of the country. And so I brought that up, posted it on Facebook. Um, it had nothing to do in the poll, really, with President Trump. Yet, <laughs> uh, on air and also the reaction via social media was that this was an anti-Trump poll. And people were reacting over, I mean, just overwhelmingly that, uh, you know, they didn't believe the poll because Donald Trump, you know, uh, is getting a bad rap in this poll. And But th- they didn't ask anything about President Trump in the poll. Now, we talked about it on the air here that, yes, people seem to feel either proud of their country or not, in some cases, based on who's in the White House. If they supported the person that won, they're more proud of the country. If they didn't support that individual, maybe they're less proud. I don't think that anyone should make their decision about whether they're proud of this nation based on who won an election. I just don't think so. I think it's bigger than that. But I do understand that in the nature of doing polls and the way people seem to to think about things, that that's the way they answer the question. But the point is, the poll didn't ask anything about President Trump. Didn't ask anything about his performance. Didn't His name wasn't mentioned, to my knowledge, in any of the questions, at least of what I posted. And yet people saw that as a reaction to uh, the approval ratings of Donald Trump. <laughs> so I, my point is, there is a hypersensitivity that's going on, and that goes for the people who are heavily critical of the president and uh, are overreacting about some of, uh, you know, the things that are going on, you know, like the country is, I even heard it the other day on one show I was watching that the president is leading us into uh, a dictatorship and it was given as a credible opinion. Now you may, you may have a lot of problems with uh, president Trump. You may think he's a wannabe dictator. You may think he wishes that he were running one of these third world countries, but uh, he's not leading us in that regard. He's still, (laughs) has a term limit, and the people will have to re-elect him to give him another four years. But uh, it was it was sort of viewed as a legitimate sort of 
point of view here. And so that's overreacting, I think. And then uh, you have sort of the other way that everything is fake news. Even when the president's own administration tells you something, and, um, you know, and I mean, it's on the record, and yet uh, you can post a story about it, and people come up and talk about how it's all fake news. So you've got this division happening. I had somebody call me the other day on another show asking whether you think uh, we'll ever get uh, get past that. Well, I think so, but I would say this division, and see what you think about it, but I think some of the division really goes back to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Uh, sort of the lines were drawn. I mean, there's always been, obviously, conservative versus liberal. There's always been a situation of Democrat versus Republican to a certain degree. I mean, the uh, the party sort of became more uh, in line with uh, their, their thought of uh, liberals finding their thought in the Democrat Party and conservatives in the Republican Party, uh, somewhere in really with Ronald Reagan, I think. But the uh, before that, you had liberals, moderates, and conservatives in both parties. The Democrats were, uh, their conservatives were more liberal than the conservatives of the Republican Party, but generally you did have uh, people of differing political ideology in each party. That's not the case today. In fact, it's even more uh, the Democrats are further left than they've ever been, and um, you could say in some cases Republicans are the other way around. So that is uh, that's sort of something unique in the last 20 years, but I think the division really began the lines really began being drawn during the impeachment uh, process of Bill Clinton. That's when Democrats uh, really stood their ground for Bill Clinton, and uh, you know the Republicans went the other way. And and since then, look at the elections that we've had. You know the uh, divided election of uh, 2000, 2004 was a very close election. Then you had Obama. He won. They'll say he won in a landslide, but still the popular vote fairly close. And his re-election was fairly close. And then, of course, the recent election, uh, once again, was almost like a, a repeat of 2000, where the person holding the office got less uh, overall popular votes, even though they won the uh, Electoral College. Okay, another half hour coming up. We welcome your phone calls. Give me a call if you'd like to chat about something in the, in the news this half hour. We'll open things up, 916-921-1530. If you'd like to be on the program, Weekend Live here on News Radio KFBK. Stay connected. News and analysis. KFBK Weekend Live. News Radio KFBK. All right, welcome back. It's 635 on Weekend Live. Doug Kelly sitting in for Sam Shane. Uh, phone number is same as always if you'd like to join in. Luis doing the uh, producing and board operations of the uh, program here on News Radio KFBK. Uh, some open line during this half hour as we uh, continue on this Saturday edition of the uh, program Weekend Live. Let's go to John, Yuba City. Uh, John, what's on your mind? You're on News Radio KFBK. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, it's good uh, to have it you, John. Seems to me that if there's so much protest against Donald Trump, why is he getting every single thing he wants through? It seems like the Congress and the Senate, you know, the people that really count when it comes to the lawmaking are going along with everything that he wants. He cut out, for instance, the um, corporate tax, basically. So now he's in, installing tariffs to make up the difference, starting this tr- tremendous trade war. But they're going along with all that. They went along with his budget, which was, you know, even a lot of uh, Republicans thought that budget was sort of uh, off the hook and voted against it. He only got it through because... 73 Democrats said, okay, let's spend like drunken sailors 
even though the money's not coming in to replenish, you know, where is the money coming? He's guaranteeing a deficit of incredible proportions. And on top of that, there's $22 trillion missing from the Department of Defense, which is the same figure as our deficit is right now. I got to figure the money is just flowing out through the DOD unchecked. You know, it's just going out into something, into some kind of military industrial complex. It's definitely not going back to the people. Well, there's the no doubt that, John, that, uh, you know, uh, the Republican uh, leadership in the uh, the Senate and the House, I mean, uh, they're, you know, they, they're not, uh, I mean, they agree with him on a lot of policies. Uh, some of the things you mentioned, yeah, they're, uh, they they haven't really stood up against him because they're concerned about uh, the possibility that the uh, the base of the party, the, the strongest of the uh, Trump supporters, uh, may, you know, turn on them in the upcoming midterm election. They're, they're concerned about it. Now, you're right. I mean, the budget uh, deal. This is something that was not very conservative, in its um, in its makeup. Uh, you're right. Conservatives were not real happy. The Freedom Caucus wasn't real happy with it. I mean, there have been a number of things. I mean, it's um, recently we had the immigration bill that uh, President Trump tweeted that he wanted their support. They didn't pass it, and then the next uh, day or so, or a day later, he said he was never in favor of them passing it in the first place. So. You know, I think part of it is the inconsistency they see coming out of the administration. If you take a stand with him about something and they don't necessarily agree with it in principle, then, uh, you know, uh, he's liable to change or there'll be a conflicting view from another person in the administration. I think there's part of that going on, too. Herbert Hoover did almost the identical thing in the 30s. But in the, in the, in the late uh, 20s and early 30s, they tried to cut out all the corporate taxes to fund the government, and then the government realized they were running out of funds, so he installed those tariffs. Well, the I'm not. Uh, I tell you, John, they, I'm not in favor, really, the the tariff tiff, as I call it, uh, going on right now because of what you're saying. Historically, it didn't work out very well. You're right, and and uh, many people, uh, economists, for years had claimed that the uh, some of the raising of the tariffs and the the fight in, over tariffs really led to the Great Depression. It certainly doesn't lead to economic prosperity unless Trump comes out uh, as he, you know, in, anticipates, I guess, that uh, these other countries will uh, lower or eliminate their tariffs. That, then, of course, uh, it could be uh, much better for the economy for the U.S. But it's a, uh, it is a dangerous game, really, in that regard. And even Republicans are saying that some of this fight over the tariffs might negate uh, the impact positively on the economy of these tax cuts. So uh, President Trump is also sort of, uh, he's got to win this one or he's going to come out, uh, he's not going to come out looking good. In other words, he seemed like he's making all the wrong moves, you know, the worst possible moves he could for our country. But our Congress goes along with everything he does, even at this time when he's well, supposed that, to be so unpopular. Well, John, one of the, well, the president does have the ability, apparently, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been a little rusty since I, uh, you know, studied constitutional law and, uh, and civics and all of that. But uh, the president apparently has the, the authority to deal with the tariffs on his own. Congress could pass a legislation that would stop uh, the president's tariffs if they wanted to, but they don't want to get into that uh, war with him, again, because of his base. I mean, it's it's there is a politic uh, or a political sort of right aspect to it. Now, um, 
it goes back to what you're saying. There are a lot of Republicans. You'll see them on some of the uh, the TV programs, Fox Business, uh, even on CNBC, that are more or less conservatives. Or in, and and Larry Kudlow, the guy that he picked to run his economics, uh, was not a fan of any of these tariffs before he got the job. Uh, and right. so many of them have been warning that this is not a good uh, thing that we're going down this road. But uh, there are also a lot of people, and I see it on social media, that believe that uh, what President Trump is uh, is pitching here is going to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. and that uh, these other countries will eventually give in, that they can't stand it up uh, long, uh, you know, against us by uh, if we raise tariffs. That and and in other words, they they will be the ones that'll have to blink. That that's really what a lot of people think. In the Midwest, that's what collapsed during Hoover's time. The Midwest, due to the tariffs, and it looks like it's the same thing's going to happen this time too. Well, I certainly hope. I hope not. I'm not going to cheerlead that. Yeah. Well, John, I'm not going to cheerlead that. That's in the 30s. The exact same thing happened. They had. I I understand. I I understand. As a person of history, I I agree with your, um, you know, your analysis, and I've said this as well. And people have ripped me about saying it because. They don't want to hear that that's uh, that this led to the Great Depression. Uh, I'm concerned about how we're heading down this road. The farmers are concerned. There's a big story today on Politico about uh, how farmers are being hit very hard, uh, you know, because of what's happened with China because they sell a lot of products there. Uh, We're going to see a raise in prices, I think, uh, milk and some of these other items that uh, we're importing from Canada at the grocery store. It's got to have some impact at some point on the the, uh, the average person. The tariffs are actually a tax on the products. Even Lincoln in the Civil War made the goods from England come to northern ports so he could tariff them 100% before the South could buy those, you know, farm implements and whatever. He didn't want Right, but I mean, eventually the consumer the pays it, right? Well, I mean, John, eventually... The revenue for the government yeah. because... They need the revenue to keep functioning as Hoover needed it. And I guess Trump has realized, hey, he's cut all this corporate tax. He's not getting anything from the corporations. And he can only raise so much from the people to support this tremendous budget he's got. Yeah, but he's I don't think that's the uh, the motivation, John. I John, John, hold on a minute. I don't think that's the motivation of President Trump because... Uh, he's calling, just as we talked about earlier in the program, he's calling Germ- uh, for Germany, if you drop your tariffs to zero, we'll drop ours. So there would be no revenue exchange there if indeed that happened. Uh, so I'm not sure that it's all about revenue to President Trump. You know, uh, I think there's a fundamental belief, and I think a lot of Americans do agree with this, that somehow the the trade imbalance is caused by other countries um, not operating fairly in this area of trade. I think I think there's a lot of sentiment among the American people for that. The only problem with uh, with that is that because of what's happened, we don't really look at the benefit that has occurred. You know, we talk a lot about a trade imbalance, and I hear the president talk about this, and you, you'll hear Tom Sullivan, uh, you know, mention this as well, that uh, one of the, the things uh, that's positive about it is the American people are able to buy many products. Yes, they're from China. You may say they're not, uh, you know, as well-made or whatever you want to say about it, but we're able to buy a lot of, uh, products uh, for a lot less the cost. So there is a benefit to the American people at times right. for some of uh, what's going on here. And I, that has to change if you're going to have tariffs on these products at some point. That amount of money has got to be passed on to the consumer, it seems to me. Yes, that's 100% correct. It's going to hurt uh, the buying public. Because now you can get like a Chinese wok 
for $5.76. And that is a good piece of uh, skill. Uh, the American products are like $30 for something comparable. It's it's about one-fifth the cost, I would say, when you actually go so into the until, store and buy these Chinese okay. products. Right. So until the American people see increases uh, that they can, uh, you know, that, that hits them right in the face at uh, the grocery store, specifically and you know places uh that american shop like walmart and and some of these big retail outlets and until they see that and they start complaining about it i don't think you're going to hear a lot of uh americans uh, uh complain about this whole bit about tariffs uh, at least well, that's sort of my uh, observation about what people say when i post something about uh you know my concern about it also doug the who gave him the one Point six billion to make the wall. I mean, I don't think they've actually voted on that, but I guess there's a con- uh, contingency in Congress and the Senate that just hands this man money and says, "Okay, go ahead, build your wall, fifteen hundred mile wall," which he wants actually thirty billion dollars for that. And I don't think that, uh, it's really that great an idea when you come right down to it. Well, you know, Pat Robert, uh, not Pat, uh, Pat Buchanan, brought this up. Uh, back in the, the early 90s about this, and it was a lot of debate. It's not a new debate, and I don't uh, I don't remember the exact money figure that was in one of the uh, the, uh, the budget deal uh, for this, but even at that, it, it's not enough to really accomplish what the president, uh, you know, said during the campaign. The president made it very clear that he was going to build this wall and Mexico was going to pay for it, and, um, you know, and until there's some kind of revenue vehicle in place, that somehow Mexico would uh, it would pay for it, then it would not be a completion of his promise. And um, whether they build the wall or not, if you're building only with American dollars. Now, the president, there was a story that uh, sometime back, the president was uh, talking to, um, maybe it was John Kelly, or uh, but, but he was floating the idea that they should get some of that money out of the defense budget because uh, uh, there was so much money in defense for, uh, you know, for this particular uh, bill, it's one of the ways you got some Republicans to vote for it. Was it increased the the defense budget? So um, he may be looking at that if he can convince Republicans to take some of the money out of um, out of the defense budget to do it. But I guess my main point is they they're supporting him on these crazy ideas. You know, they're really bad ideas that are going to lead to a depression. But for some reason, our senators and congressmen. Like you say, to hold their positions probably and to get reelected, are backing him up on these things. Well, I think what's going to happen, and, this, uh, and I'm in a minority on this, John. I think, depending on the outcome of the midterm elections, um, if the elections are close, and what I mean by that, if if the Republicans hold on to Congress, but it's it's very close, they may be more um, emboldening, I guess, to. Uh, to not uh, go along with everything Donald Trump wants at the remainder of his first term. If, if the Democrats win, that's a whole different ballgame. The president's probably going to get impeached if that happens. So we'll be dealing with that. And then uh, if somehow the Republicans gain seats during uh, the midterm elections, then uh, you're gonna, the President Trump will get uh, most everything he wants because the people getting elected will be very pro-Trump. And uh, in addition to the people who are already there, the leadership and such that are not going to want to oppose him. So I think the the midterm elections will determine uh, how the next couple of years go as far as Donald Trump's agenda. I do. And the things you talk about, bad ideas, you know, uh, will be um, uh, will be debated. If the Democrats win, they'll be opposed. If the Republicans win, but they win by the skin of their teeth, I think there will some of it may be uh, held up. I do. 
uh, where he can't get his immigration bill through anyway. I mean, it's uh, there's not a consensus even among Republicans to go along with some of uh, what the president's been, you know, saying in some of his speeches. It just doesn't exist. I got to run, John, but thank you so okay, much for calling. You, Good John. stuff from you. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, no, I, I appreciate it. It's good. Um, kind of need to air this out about the tariffs because I think I even have economists, uh, you know, on, on social media will will jump me for saying I think eventually the, you know, if this continues and they're actually fully implemented, we're going to see higher prices. I just don't see how you can't at, uh, you know, the grocery store. If people are okay with that, well, that's what we're going to have. Uh, 648, we'll be right back with more on Weekend Live. I'm Doug Kellett sitting in. We're live on this July 7th for Sam Shane, and we'll be right back with more on News Radio KFBK. KFBK Weekend Live. News and analysis on News Radio KFBK. Ten minutes before the top of the hour, 6.50 our time. Doug Kellett sitting in weekend live on News Radio KFBK. I'm Doug Kellett. Good to be with you. Hit me up on Twitter, my Twitter feed. A lot of you are doing that. At iDougRadio and Facebook.com backslash iDougRadio. And my website is iDougRadio.com. We were talking tariffs a few minutes ago uh, with John. And uh, it's a controversial topic because... Uh, you know, uh, if if ter- if it turns out that President Trump and his position is correct, and we can get zero tariffs on American products being shipped overseas, and uh, in return zero tariffs uh, coming here, it, that's a win-win. Uh, a lot of people are skeptical that's going to happen. Also, the uh, the tariff sort of war, if you want to call it that, is one that could be dangerous because we have historical evidence in the past that these kind of um, encounters usually cause economic downturns. And even some Republicans have been saying, although maybe not on the record, but there have been a number of stories of Republicans concerned about uh, the the, uh, the current tr- uh, tariff debate and the raising of tariffs by China, also Canada, and maybe some of the European nations uh, could uh, negate all the benefit that has occurred job creation-wise by the uh, the tax cuts. Anyway, let's go to Bob. Grass Valley wants to talk about these tariffs. Bob, thank you for calling, and you're on News Radio KFBK. Yes, sir. I, I you know, I know if you watch, if you read Politico too much, you're going to just get one side of the picture. You're going to go too far left. <laughs> I will. I will. I will stipulate and grant you that that is correct, Bob. You are uh, absolutely yes, correct. Sir. Yes, sir. And what I what I want you to know is, you know, no one's ever had the guts to call out these other countries for tariffing our products. They, we have been tariffed to death for the last 40 years, and they've been slowly draining us, and no one's – everybody's afraid, and we are holding all the cards. You know, the Chinese are bringing their money here now more because they're getting a little worried about their economy. They have an aging population. They are not replacing themselves. They're going to face a massive financial crisis. So when everybody gets worried about what we're doing here, I don't agree with everything Trump does, and I was a never-Trumper. I was a Ted Cruz guy, but I did – kind of stepped back once he got in and said, all right, he's a businessman. And I love the idea of finally awakening the American public to the fact that our goods are being tariffed. We are at a disadvantage. And if we threaten to tariff theirs, everybody cries and the media says we're going to have a collapse. It's not that it's not that going to happen. The, the, the economic dynamics are different than they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's like everybody says, when is the economy going to crash? When are houses going to crash again? Go try to get a loan right now. You can't walk in with a pulse and get a loan. You have to have income verification. You have to have a job. You can't just get a loan. So there's many different factors now affecting the economy, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with the uh, the point, uh, which is made over and over again, and you made it there, where uh, it's nice that someone is talking about this issue because Americans and American products, uh, you're right, we've been uh, hammered with this uh, in the past. That's true. You know, but there's I think there are other factors, though, as well. One is we're benefiting, you and I, from paying uh, less for products coming in. Now, we can talk about jobs being shipped overseas, and I'm just like every other American concerned when that happens, but understanding that uh, with the high-tech sort of environment that we're living in, the fact that robotics have really uh, done more to, to cost uh, manufacturing jobs, I think, than shipping them overseas, you know, uh, we have to kind of factor this in on the impact that it may have. Now, if Trump wins, yeah, it's going to be a win-win for all of us. I, I totally agree with that. The, uh, but it is a game that we're playing, and it's uh, it's one that we haven't really gone down this road, and you know, in a long uh, period of time. The other thing is that we, and we've seen this with automobile manufacturers. Uh, I think I mentioned the other day, BMW. You know, they whether they assemble or make whatever you want to call it, uh, the cars that are sold in this country uh, in South Carolina, Mercedes does the same in Alabama with the cars that are sold here. We have kind of we we've worked a lot of things that way. To keep Americans working at some of these, uh, you know, factories and everything. So um, we'll just have to see, Bob, how it really turns out. But there are a lot of people concerned about it. I agree. You know what? I do have my misgivings about it too. But the gentleman that called in earlier was very articulate, but he yeah. was just a woe's me, never Trumper. I could sense it in his voice. And you know, I gave the guy a chance. I voted for Obama the first time. I did not the second because I realized he wasn't confident when it came to running the economy. And you know, I'm working seven days a week. I have my own business. Um, I, I know how the economy works. I know when people feel comfortable, they spend money. Um, so it's kind of, hey, when I hear people like that, I'm like, well, were you a government worker who retired with an 8000 a month salary? Well, guess what? The private sector ain't getting the goodies. And uh, when the rest of the people wake up and realize they're being fleeced, it's going to be ugly in this country. But you know what? I say go Trump for now. Let's see what he does. But I appreciate your show. I, I, I love listening to you talk. I love the way you, you think it through. Hey, I appreciate it, Bob. It's good to hear you, and uh, thanks for calling. And, uh, you know, again, it's good to hear this out about the uh, the tariffs. A lot of times we don't get a chance to to do that because um, it is a complicated subject. You know, I kind of try to listen to economists on both sides. I, I agree with what Bob said about Politico, but I, I, did, I almost hesitated not to quote them. But I did because the story is about the farmers, and, you know, they went and interviewed, and I don't think it's really been disputed that the uh, the farm industry in the Midwest and Iowa and such uh, are hurting because of this uh, this you know trade uh, situation. In fact, the uh, senator uh, from Iowa, and I forget her name right off the top of my head here, has been uh, been talking about uh, some of the impact that's going on with the farmers there. And um, and so uh, even the president said the other day that well yes uh, there may be some pain in the short term uh, to farmers, but they'll uh, they'll love me in the end or something like that. Well, uh, I don't uh, know any American that's rooting against. Uh, what's going on here? It, but uh, I think it's it's okay to be concerned, and uh, there are men, members of um, you know the Republican leadership. I think is also concerned. But again, the president has a lot of authority in this area to deal with tariffs, and to deal with these kind of agreements. And uh, whether it's uh, NAFTA or GATT uh, or the uh, Pacific uh, uh, Treaty that the president is not going along with. We're out of time. Uh, it's been a pleasure being with you on this weekend. Look forward to doing it again. If you want to reach me in the meantime, find my website, idugradio.com. Uh, hit me up on Twitter or Facebook, and we will talk to you soon right here. <laughs>